I'm excited today to talk with you about a fairly complicated subject, actually. Um, for those of you who've been following along, we're in a sermon series entitled On the Move, uh, based on the book of Acts. And we've been going through it pretty much chronologically, um, and we're coming up to a chapter uh, where we pay a lot of attention to the subject of baptism. Um, and baptism can be kind of this tricky thing because, you know, as many denominations there are around the world, as far as churches go, Christian churches go, there's a lot of viewpoints uh, on baptism. And sometimes the various viewpoints can provide some contention even between the denominations. Um, I want to read for you uh, what Peter says about baptism in Acts chapter 2. So if you rewind a few chapters before uh, where we are going to spend the majority of today. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter says this to the thousands that he's preaching to. They ask him, what are we supposed to do uh, after hearing about the gospel news? Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, uh, who, and all who uh, the Lord our God will call. You know, it's generally held that in baptism, that when someone is baptized, that it's a sign of acceptance of Jesus Christ as one's Savior. One, when one accepts Jesus as their Savior, they accept his salvation and the Holy Spirit. So baptism, in any denomination, whether ours or another one, whether infant baptism or believer's baptism, whatever denomination that people are a part of, it is very sacred to faith no matter which. In some liturgical settings, it is a sacrament that they practice. Catholics and Lutherans, they practice infant baptism. We, however, we practice a believer's baptism, where upon belief in Jesus Christ, one displays their faith by choosing to be baptized. So either way, you cut it, dice it, infant baptism, believer's baptism. We practice a believer's baptism. But either way, it's a complicated and sacred thing to faith. And it is associated, to us, it is associated as a sign of belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so this here you know, really shows this overwhelming importance and quality in baptism. Now me, Reggie Kamarsi, I've seen a lot of baptism uh, over the years in my ministry. Uh, I've done some baptizing myself, uh, but a lot of the baptisms that I've seen are at Pine Haven Christian Assembly. Uh, in the summers, I volunteer uh, as a kind of a program lead uh, over a camp week of youth children. Uh, and there, a lot of people make decisions about wanting to be baptized. And so I've counseled a lot of campers about baptism. When I've talked to them, a lot have had authentic spiritual encounters. Uh, that created a desire in them to be baptized. A lot of them is really good. However, sometimes I know when I'm up there, some of the students just get kind of caught up in the momentum of everybody moving forward, and there's a lot of emotion. And since people are making this decision, sometimes, you know, I think I kind of want to make that a decision also. And so sometimes in my counseling with them, we kind of reveal some things that might not be as associated with this reasoning, more so just... Uh, wanting to be a part of a crowd. And so when I counsel them, we sometimes end up reconsidering to see if that's something that they should be doing. 
And sometimes they have a difficulty articulating, right, saying why it's something that they want to do. I've even seen campers wait almost a year before they get baptized because they want to do it at camp. A lot of years, I'll be talking with a student who's maybe interested, like, oh, well, maybe next year, they'll say. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, you wait a whole year to do this thing, you know, because you want to do it at this specific place. It's kind of this weird approach to baptism. I've seen baptisms where people choose special music before and after, like songs that they really feel connected to, and they would want that before or a song afterwards. You know, I've seen a tendency for people when it comes to baptism, I've seen a tendency for people to romanticize baptism, turning into this really uh, uh, big celebration or, or kind of this procedure, and they plan a lot of things around it. And I agree, it is, baptism is a big event. It, is, it, it can mark the, typically marks the beginning of faith. It can be a big event. So you know what? People want it to be memorable. However, in Scripture, when you see it here and when you see it in today's text, you're going to find that there is not a lot of pomp or frill when we see baptism. In fact, again, in today's Scripture, we're going to be studying Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It represents a perfect, to me, in my opinion, it represents a perfect case study in evangelism, sharing faith, and hopefully in ensuing baptism. Every baptism we've seen so far in Acts, up from Acts chapter 1 through 8 here, every baptism that we've seen, and we've seen thousands by now, every baptism so far has been the result of mass evangelism. We see miracles, we see preaching to hundreds or even thousands at a time. These look more like revivals of the mid-1900s. That's what mass evangelism looks like. Peter would do something crazy uh, and gather the attention of people through the Holy Spirit and the miracles, and he would somehow amplify his voice, I don't know how, to thousands of people. This is how evangelism we've seen up until now, but today that isn't going to be the experience of most Christians. Do you expect any one of us to speak to thousands of people at a time, let alone non-believers? There's even a difference in that. That's not going to be the case of evangelism that you or I experience, even myself. Yeah, I've maybe addressed hundreds at a time, but even then they're believers, so it's really different. And so today we're actually going to be looking at the contrasting of mass evangelism, we're going to be looking at personal evangelism. Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, is a case study in personal evangelism. It's a, just a perfect little picture of how one can share faith and be at the right place by the Spirit's leading. This personal evangelism in reality, is going to be the kind of evangelism that you are going to most likely practice in this life. And so paying attention to how this scripture unfolds, I think, is a big benefit to us who are challenged to the Great Commission, who are called to go make disciples and baptize. So today we're going to break down Acts chapter 26 through 40. So if you want to turn your scriptures to there, of course, I'll have some scripture uh, up here with you. But it might be a familiar 
story to you. Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm going to break it down here just a little bit, uh, and then we're going to pay attention to a few patterns that unfold from the scripture, uh, and then we'll pay attention and lock in on a few key verses. But I'm going to summarize what this section is about. After Philip evangelizes to the Samaritans, which we preached last week, after Philip evangelizes to the Samaritans, he is led by the Holy Spirit to a certain point in the road. The Holy Spirit points out a chariot to Philip and tells him to go to it. Philip rushes and finds an Ethiopian eunuch with an important job as a treasurer to his government, as a treasurer to his government back in Ethiopia, located in the Upper Nile. So Philip is told where to go, runs into this guy, uh, and he has a very important job. The Ethiopian is, a, is headed home after traveling to Jerusalem for worship. Somehow, I don't know how, but he got his hands on a copy of Isaiah, a scroll 700 years old. He somehow had got, his hand, he got his hands on a copy of this. Philip overhears him reading out loud from Isaiah, which is actually a common practice. Apparently, back then, they didn't read silently. Whenever you had a scroll out, you read out loud. Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading. The Ethiopian replies, you know, I can't. In fact, I, I need someone to explain it to me. And so Philip does so. Philip explains the text, and then he connects it to Jesus by sharing with him the good news or the gospel. As they're walking together, the eunuch sees some water, and he asks Philip to baptize him. Done. Easy story. Awesome story. I, I, really, I wish that developing faith that produces fruit like baptism were as smooth as this story goes. This is why I call it just this perfect little case study of personal evangelism. In this quick story, there are a few patterns that I think we should really study, that we should really work to incorporate into our personal evangelism. There's a few things that we can learn from Philip that we should practice, we should adopt, and use really in our interactions with the people in our lives who we know are looking for truth or looking for faith or who is seeking something, some kind of truth out. And we should take these patterns and make them a part of our daily conversations or at least be ready for when they come up. So the first thing to pick out of this story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch First is this, it's very clear. Philip is spirit-led. It's very, very clear that Philip is spirit-led. You might make the mistake of thinking that Philip is the main character of this story. He isn't. He's the vessel, certainly. He's the physical manifestation. He is the representation. But Philip's not the main character of this story. It's the Holy Spirit. Look at a few key verses in, our, in today's text. In verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord, here's, it, it's, this Holy Spirit is manifested in direction by angel of the Lord in, in this passage, said to Philip, Go to the south road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's being told where to go, all right? In verse 29, The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Told him where to go in the road. Tell him from there, he told him to go to the chariot. And then in verse 39, after the baptism, when they came up out of the water, this is a crazy moment. 
the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. If you have some time to read this scripture on your own, this is kind of a weird moment where Philip all of a sudden seems to transport in this, into another area, and then he just goes on evangelizing still. So kind of a weird story, but you might have to study that uh, on your own. Now, for most of you, you know this about me. I have a three-month-old nephew. Is he three months? Four months already. It's flying by. I have a four-month-old nephew, Mason. And whenever I see him, of course, he's accompanied by his mother, Hannah, either carrying him or he is in the uh, car seat uh, being swung you know, by the knees. That he's always being carried uh, or in the car seat. Um, and I always think, wow, like what a life, right? That this kid just eats, calls out for some attention, eats some more, falls asleep, but he's always being carried. He's always in a car seat. He just really doesn't have to do anything on his own. And in, when I was reading this passage, it made me kind of think about Mason, because that's kind of how Philip seems to be also, that he's told to go here, then he is told to go stand over here. He's told to say this. He's led to, he's led to baptize this guy. Then he's picked up, literally, out of the river, out of the water. He's picked up and then transported to another place. Like Philip is just getting whipped around, and it made me think of that. Like, so don't make the mistake of thinking that Philip is the main character. The Holy Spirit is doing all of the leading. The Holy Spirit has got all the responsibility. Philip's just there. This is an all-important pattern for us to recognize. Why? Because sometimes, and it, when it comes to baptism, and it comes to sharing faith, and it comes to evangelism, you know what? Sometimes it's too much pressure to be a shot caller. Sometimes it's a lot of pressure to be a shot caller. To just say, I'm the one in charge. I'm going to decide to go this way or that way. I'm going to do it this way. And after that, I want it done this way and this way. It's hard to lay out a map of how to develop faith in other people. It's a lot of pressure to be a shot caller. You know what? The Holy Spirit is doing the leading, picking up Philip and dropping him off where he's supposed to be. You and me, we should lean into the wisdom and the direction of the Holy Spirit. This really should give us confidence knowing that we are within the bounds of God's watch. If I'm only leaning on the Holy Spirit, how can I go wrong? Just doing what the Spirit is telling me to do. This lends me lots of confidence knowing that Reggie won't make the mistake if I just do and say and act the way the Holy Spirit leads me. Now again, I don't mean to make compare Philip to a helpless baby who's being propped up by the Holy Spirit. No. Philip's not helpless, but he has submitted to the Holy Spirit. And I think that that wisdom should lend us confidence when it comes to evangelizing and sharing faith to other people. Philip is ready. He's not a helpless baby. He is a ready and able-bodied person. In a number of different ways, we're going to see this pattern that Philip is a very able-bodied and he's very ready for the task at hand. So I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit does all of the work. Leaning into him, he will lead us into the opportunities for evangelism. But that doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility. It means that we have to be ready. Philip, for example, one of the ways that I see him ready is that Philip is ready with Scripture. 
Philip is ready with Scripture. I think here in verse 30 through 31, what we see is the Ethiopian eunuch trying to read out of Isaiah chapter 53. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asks, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. They read Isaiah 53, which Philip is able to recognize and speak on. Imagine if Philip didn't, he just didn't know that passage. He didn't know who Isaiah the prophet was. If he wasn't ready with the historical context to be able to lead this Ethiopian eunuch through some spiritual guidance. He knows the scripture. Have you ever had a salesperson? Have you ever been out looking for a product, wanting to hunt down a new sale, and you have someone come up and try and sell you something, but they don't know any information about it? Imagine you came up to me and I was trying to sell you a lawnmower, and you says, oh, how much uh, miles per gallon does this lawnmower get? I don't know, I'm gonna go talk to my manager, come back, give you an answer. All right, well, what's it cost? You have financing. One second, I'm gonna go talk to my manager and go back, come back one more time. Uh, all right, uh, and then how many blades is this? How often do I, do I have to mix the oil and the gas? Is that something I have to do? One second, and I go back. I, I'm just gonna come off as this inept character who's incapable of representing the list lawnmower well. Philip is ready with scripture. You and I should be at the ready. Familiar enough with the patterns of Scripture, at least to tie to the gospel, because that's what it's all about. We need to be familiar enough with Scripture so that when people do ask those questions, because this is a very legitimate question, how can I unless someone explains to me? Scripture is complicated. It is very difficult. And we as believers should be ready with a, at least an elementary understanding of Scripture and how to tie what we find to who Jesus is. We've got to know Scripture. Not every detail, but as a student of the Word myself, I know I'm always learning things still, but I know enough to help guide others. I'm not telling you each to pursue a degree in biblical study, but I do think you should each be dedicated to Scripture. You each need to be a student of the Word. This might be an intimidating task. So start with the Gospels. Get to know Jesus' story. Philip was able to relate that scripture to the Ethiopian, Ethiopian because he got it to Jesus, which again was the ultimate point of scripture. He is the crescendo. He is the point. So start with Jesus. Get familiar with the details of the gospel and go from there. Philip is ready in another way. Philip is ready to give this man guidance. The eunuch is searching for answers. And Philip is ready to give them. I want to tell you something, a truth that is relevant for today and for the people around you. People around us are looking for answers. Believe it or not, they ask questions like, man, why does life feel so empty? They ask, man, why does my life, why don't I feel satisfied? They'll ask, why isn't my marriage working? They ask questions like, man, how do I get happy? How do I find contentment? How are we supposed to make our way in this world? This place is so cruddy. What's the point of living here? There are so many questions that people are legitimately asking, looking for answers. And guess what? We have them. We do have real, real answers that can create transformation. We don't leave people empty-handed. 
We have real answers to give people because people are really looking for them. Philip, he is not scared or intimidated by this Ethiopian official. Again, this Ethiopian eunuch is a big deal, a treasurer in his country. He is a high-ranking official, yet Philip is not afraid. Instead, he jumps into the fray and he starts to guide him. This can be, and typically is, a very intimidating process for most people. People can be afraid to give spiritual guidance because sometimes we're unsure of it ourselves. Sometimes we're afraid to give other people advice because sometimes we don't feel like we're adequate. But Philip is ready to give guidance. And when it comes to a pattern of personal evangelism, something that we need to emulate, like Philip, is to be ready not intimidated, not scared, even if this isn't a big-ranking official, we need to not be afraid. Either Philip doesn't give in to the fear of intimidation to this important man. Philip is still ready, and he gives this man spiritual guidance. In this other way, Philip is ready. Philip is ready to baptize this guy. He doesn't shy away. He's not scared when this, he doesn't recoil when this man asks him, to be baptized. You know, a few months ago, really random story. Uh, I was at home, received a phone call from Terry Mims, a past, uh, he's an elder at New Brighton Christian Church, and I got a phone call from him because there was a woman who wanted to be baptized as soon as possible. And Ron, unfortunately, the senior pastor of New Brighton Christian Church, he was just away for the evening. He'd be back in the morning. But this woman was so adamant. She sought urgency in her, uh, in her pursuit of baptism. She wanted to get done that night, which I really appreciated. And so I went over. I met with her. We talked just a little bit. And that evening, an hour after this initial phone call between me and her, we had this we, we baptized her. Her husband was present. Terry was present. I was there. We baptized this woman. She was, just, she was just so eager to do it. You never know when that eagerness is going to strike. Actually, that's why you might not be familiar with this, but in a Christian church, that's why there's traditionally standing water ready to go because we never know when someone will want to be baptized. At New Brighton Christian Church, the water's warm. They keep it warm. Now, has anyone ever surprised anybody there? No. But they're always ready, always ready to baptize. This is that, that eagerness that this woman showed is the same eagerness that I heard in the Ethiopian's voice. In verse 36 through 38, the Ethiopian says this, as they traveled along the road, this is again Philip and the Ethiopian, they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I love this spirit, though. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? That's the appropriate response to wanting to be baptized. What's going to keep you? Not, not out of force, uh, not someone trying to persuade you, but out of your overwhelming and overcoming love for the gospel and in acceptance of Jesus Christ, your Savior, and in this act of obedience in baptism, 
This is the appropriate response. What can get in my way? Karen says, I'm sorry if the pastor is going to be there tomorrow morning. I've got to get baptized now. That's this appropriate urgency. And I love how Philip is ready to do it. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't shrink back. And the truth is we should each, listen to me, you should each be ready to do this with someone else. You should each be ready to baptize someone. Guess what? This responsibility is not meant solely for an apostle. This responsibility is not only for evangelists. It's not even only for a pastor like myself to do. Scripture doesn't describe the qualifications of a a person that baptizes. You don't have to have certain training to be able to baptize. You don't have to have a certain education to baptize others. If there is a qualification, if there is one, it's this. We are each charged with the same great commission that I've been charged with. The only qualification necessary for you to do any kind of baptizing is that you've been charged with a great commission yourself. And we've all been charged with that. And so we all have responsibility. The great commission isn't labeled apostles, disciples, pastors. Go, make disciples and baptizing people. That commission's for everybody. And I can understand that it can be another intimidating part of evangelism, having to be ready to do that because it's not something you might have done before. But this is part of being ready, being excited to partake in someone else's story. Because in the end, really, Philip is only a vessel. He's there to do the baptizing. But the baptizing in that moment is a story between the eunuch and God, not Philip. Even later, we're going to, next week, we're going to start with Saul and his conversion to Paul, who would become the apostle to the Gentiles, I mean, to everybody else. Paul's going to play this role that unlocks the good news for us. And you know what Paul says about baptism later in his ministry? You know what he says? He says, man, I'm glad I didn't baptize some of you because you're fighting over who baptized you, between me or Apollos. You know, truth is, I can't even remember who I baptized. I can't even, I'm glad I didn't baptize many. I can't even remember what number or your names or what. And this is Paul. Paul is this central figure for the rest of the New Testament. And he shows us, he evidences for us what role that baptizer plays. A minimal one. The story of baptism is between the eunuch and God. So we each, even though it's intimidating, should be ready to baptize just like anybody else. So Philip is ready. If you learn anything about the patterns in this scripture, it's that Philip is led by the Holy Spirit, which we are each also, and that Philip is ready. He's ready with Scripture, he's ready with guidance, and he's ready to baptize. You know, it's really cool that even though I broke chapter 8 into two parts, you know what's really cool is that the gospel itself does not change. So last week we preached about Philip going to Samaria and preaching to the Samaritans which is huge because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. They have a long-standing history of not getting along. In fact, they would avoid each other, not talk to each other because of a feud between them. Philip goes and he preaches to Samaria and he brings the gospel to them. He does this in this mass evangelism way 
and they all become believers, which is amazing. Then the next story, about as far a contrast as possible, Philip now personally evangelized. He was speaking to hundreds, maybe thousands. He was speaking to hundreds at least. And now he's speaking to someone from a completely different culture, a completely different background, with a completely different set of circumstances, who's probably rich, a high-paid official. He's completely different from the Samaritans. On the spectrum, they're about as different a story as possible. And guess what? Philip's job never changed. Philip's mode never changed. Now, there may not have been the miracles, the mass miracles for the Samaritans, but really, he was still ready to display Jesus as the gospel good news. Doesn't matter if you're a half-breed Jew that I've been avoiding all my life, or a high-ranking official from a foreign country, Jesus is still what matters. Jesus is the same to the Samaritans as he is to the Ethiopian. And to me, that, pre that presents hope to me, that I don't have to be afraid, I don't have to change the situation the way I communicate to this person or the other. Jesus is the same. And we're still in the same desperate level of need for Jesus just as much as anyone else's. And I love that consistent gospel good news in Jesus Christ. I hope that you can be in love with that too. Doesn't matter who you're talking to, Jesus is the same. It needs to be shared. So be like Philip, led by the Spirit and ready to do his job. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, I'm thankful for this really succinct story of Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. I know for many believers, this story is a hopeful story of inspiration of being led by that spirit, being led to people who are seeking truth. Father, I pray that we each, like Philip, would be vessels for your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to represent that gospel and good news to people who are seeking truth out, who are seeking a way out of the cruddy quality of this world. I know, Lord, that the transformative power of your gospel can transcend all of the difficulty in this world. And so I pray that you'd instill in us courage and preparation, that we would be ready for the people in our lives that we come across. Lord, please lead us to them. If it's a point in the road, if there's a chariot, a broken car down in the road that we may be able to speak with someone, Lord, please make our hearts and ears sensitive to the calling and leading of your spirit so that we too, like Philip, will be able to share the gospel in such a way that someone might rejoice, be baptized, and go on singing the praises of your son, Jesus. I pray these things in your holy son's name. Amen.